and welcome back to Free Reeling It. I almost said the other name. Um, I'm your host, Jesse, and with me today is your other host, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Why comics? No. <laughs> I, it's because I recorded that yesterday. Uh, oh, so okay. My, my brain's still kind of in that mode. You know, it, it's it's funny. Um, I, when I, when you said uh, free reeling, I'm like, wait a minute, what show are we doing? And I, <laughs> so I was like, for some reason, I was surprised you didn't say Trivial Merit, and I don't know why. I'm very tired. How are you, Jess? Uh, hello, welcome back to Trivial Merit. We will be covering the entire discography of the Mountain Goats today. I mean, well, if you want to, if you want to peek behind the wheel, uh, I'm pretty sure the entire discography of the Mountain Goats is less of a project than we have for our next recording of Trivium. <laughs> so, so, so yes, uh, but the Mountain Goats are good. Um, how are you, Jesse? What's new? Uh, not a whole lot. Just, uh, just, uh, just, uh, just watching movies and uh catching up on things i missed there's some movies leaving collections soon that i need to catch up on i still have not watched uh uh what's that scorsese movie and the, his first one his first one the first one the first big one i don't know oh the first big one mean streets no 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 midnight something what's it called after hours. oh after hours oh that was like that was that was after taxi driver that wasn't that was he he was he was super established by then but after hours is really good well i don't um, know anything about anything that's okay that's this okay. is why i'm on the podcast i'm here to learn I'm not, I'm not trying, if I came off as trying to be that guy, I, I no, wasn't. you're fine. <laughs> I'm not trying, I am not trying to be that guy. It's weird that Scorsese's been active in seven decades. It's just, uh. Yeah. Just Jesus wild. Christ. <laughs> uh, anyways, wow. uh, we're talking uh, about yeah. Dune today. Speaking of seven decades. Um, Was this week like seven decades for you? No, 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 no. Just Dune has been around since what the fifties, sixties. So seven decades. Yeah, seven decades. Also, <laughs> um, uh, I wrote down Doom instead of Dune. Dune, uh, sixty-five. Yeah, seven decades. Well, a guy I work with sent me a, a meme of this movie poster. It was everybody. Everybody was all of the actual cast was replaced by like Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, and Daffy Duck, and Wile E. Coyote, and it was called Looney Dunes. It's good. I've seen the, the, I, I, the Joey Tribbiani like, one, too. I'm like, that's real good. <laughs> um, but yes, we're doing Dune, based off the Frank Herbert novel. This is the, this is the 2021 Dune, not the... The, 20, the, 2021, the 2021 Dune, not the David Lynch one, or the, what was it, a miniseries as the, well? Yeah, like the sci-fi miniseries. That was actually, that some people say that one's actually bad. Like, it's just, it's actually pretty bad. Really? I heard that I, one's actually really good. So. I see, well, and see, I haven't seen that one. I have seen the Lynch one, and the times that I've had conversations about it, I actually think I've, I've actually been the one, the one that likes the Lynch version. Um, do I think it's like his best movie? No. Do I think it's like a signature David Lynch? Nah. Uh, but for some reason, I having never read the book uh, prior, uh, I did like that one. But uh, Well, I'm very glad that 
Dune has made its money back. Yes. After after 2049, uh, you, you worry. You worry mm-hmm. that these ambitious projects just won't make their money. And to be fair, 2049 technically made its money back, but not like the box office that they want um, right. for these kind of movies, where Dune seems like the box office that you kind of want for these, these big sci-fi movies. Yes. The big epic of sorts. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner making uh, about... 260 million and i think dunes at like 350 currently and it's still in theaters so yeah not too, not too shabby not too shabby at all um it's, it's surprising that dune had a lower budget than blade runner also yeah that's that's boggling because um, it, it feels like dune though had a lot more natural sets though because i know they film like all of all of the the water planet. I don't remember any of the planet's names. Um, the uh, water that planet. is the Caladan. Caladan, or, or, or is that Getty Prime? Um, Getty Prime uh, actually, is I, the Harkin. Yeah, yeah, I have to look. I think Getty Prime is the Harkonnen planet, and Caladan is where the Atreides are, are from originally. Yeah, the Atreides one, um, Caladan. That one, I believe, was all filmed in Norway. Okay. And so, like, stuff like that, and, like, the green screens were very minimal in this movie. Like, I guess they didn't like green screens, so they tried to make matte paintings that worked as green screens. Really? Yeah, I, I, read, I read something. It could be, this could all be bull. I don't know. I read it on sure. the internet. But it, I guess the set designer was like, yeah, green screen, like, fabric green screens just look weird. So he painted mm-hmm. on them to kind of make them look different and, like, mesh better. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, this whole I mean, this whole process is really interesting too. Because, like, did you did you read about the soundtrack and stuff? Uh, no, I've not read any ancillary stuff. Well, should we get our thoughts out before we get into the interesting things? Of course, of course. You go first. Uh, I love this movie. Actually, um, I now it has been a long time since I've seen the Lynch version, uh, but the Lynch version did not do to me what this movie did this and i also realized that like it's probably been two three decades since i've watched the lynch version um and like this is the one that made me pick up the book uh i had heard like for a long time that i should just read dune and uh but watching this film, I think I think uh, Chalamet is amazing. Uh, I it was night. I've not seen any of the Aquaman movies. If there's more than one, I've not seen Momoa in the MC or what? That's DC. Yeah. I've not seen Momoa in any of the any any of the comic book movies. But uh, it was nice to see him as a character that's not Cal Drogo from Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, and I actually found myself drawing a lot of the parallels that I would assume a lot of fandom would make between Dune and Star Wars. I didn't, I mean, I was looking at it like, oh, wow, George Lucas really did just sort of lift this from, lift Star Wars from Dune and Kurosawa, which is something I always kind of knew, but I'd never really made the connections. Yeah. Uh, it was nice, see- but I also liked that this is less. There's le- there's there seems to be less magic here than in Star Wars. 
Yeah. And I was I was actually kind of taken aback by that. Um, yeah, it's really interesting how grounded the world for such a sci-fi world. And I, I've been talking about this to people for since mm-hmm. we watched the movie, how grounded this movie is as a sci-fi movie. That even though it is technically, I think it would be classified as high sci-fi, it has a lot of low sci-fi feeling moments and elements. Can I ask a real stupid question? Ask it. I actually don't know what high and low differentiates. So like when someone says high fantasy or like low fantasy, I'm like, what is that? Is that like high brow fantasy? Or I, 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 I actually don't know the distinction. Yeah. Um, so um, with fantasy, and I, and I think this goes with uh, sci-fi too, um, high fantasy is usually there's, there's nothing that we can really recognize in the world, like other than like the basic human things. Um, like Lord of the Rings is like super high fantasy because the systems, the characters, the, the way the world works doesn't make, it, it doesn't work like our world works at okay. all even if it feels like like an old world in that way it's mm-hmm. still pretty high fantasy by there's no us in this world where okay. something like um uh what's a what's a low fantasy i'm trying to think of it harry potter harry potter is technically like a low fantasy because there's so much of us in those books there's so much of like modern human nature and technology in those books where i think Blade Runner is a low sci-fi because it's so like it's a it's a very possible future mm-hmm. where uh same thing with like Star Trek I think Star Trek's pretty low uh, low sci-fi or Star Wars is a pretty high sci-fi concept I think because there's a there's some stuff that's like very much uh the culture at the time but mm-hmm. for the most part it's really foreign okay and I think. I think what I think the big thing that distincts it from it from each other, and I think Dune, from my understanding, fits into low sci-fi a bit more than it does high sci-fi. Is the Earth is somewhere, the Earth is connected to this somewhere, right? Um, Where they make reference to just humans, yeah. And Dune, I believe, is set like which is far in the Earth's future, like far in our future, right? That's why there's characters still named Duncan Idaho. Uh, His Mm -hmm. grandfather still bullfights. Right. Um, so like things like that like i think that's why it feels low sci-fi even though it deals with a lot of high sci-fi concepts okay all right so so okay you, you can continue your what you were saying before i sort of interrupt you with the high and low question oh, no, sorry I, I, I was just i was just thinking that I think it's so fascinating to see a movie that like star wars as you said like is so kind of ripped from it but mm-hmm. star wars like really plays into the high, like the high concepts Right, where where Dune brings them, reigns them in quite well, I think. Mm-hmm. That that's really what I was just saying. It's like, it's, there's a messiah story, there's warring factions. That's mm-hmm. about it. That's all you really need to gather from a lot of Dune. And there's a lot of cool ways they're playing with these stories and these tropes, but they're not trying to add in magic, as you said, add in right. like add in like other factions that are like the Jedi and the Sith add in uh aliens They're like i don't think there's a single alien in this in, like technically like they're all humanoids human people yeah they're yeah they're all yeah they're all basically humanoids. So, so it's just super fascinating right and I, I i think and i don't know if this is because i am uh 
in my fifth decade of existence, but I enjoyed the fact that this is all politics rather than space opera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like how instead of one of my favorite moments uh, this comes early is when Oscar Isaac's character and Timothy Chalamet are walking through the, I guess the cemetery and uh, Chalamet is like, you know, kind of his, his first real coming to grips with like, I'm not sure I want to be the successor of this house Atreides. And yeah. I think, I, I, I don't know if this is because Isaac and Chalamet are both very good actors or if it's just a, a, re- a really well-written scene. Because I've also, I have picked up the books and started the books and I'm about, a, I'm about 100 pages into the first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll get into that. I'll get into that later. Um, but I found this for being a far-flung future like still sort of like huh sons and their fathers still have these discussions and at least this time it's not this is your this no this is your destiny and this is just what you do um which you know in this type of sci-fi and even fantasy like it's always nope you're the special boy you have to be the you have to do the special thing and you don't really get to argue with it. Whereas it seems like in this particular scene, Oscar Isaac's like, you know, I did. I wasn't sure I wanted to do this either. I wanted to be a pilot and I found my own way to it. And, I'm, and I know you'll find your way. And it, it just to see like Chalamet and Oscar Isaac just sort of look at each other with mutual respect is sort of like, that's a good father-son relationship, I think. It gets it gets a little questionable later on, of course. But, yeah. You know. But I I did like how just I did like how grounded that was, rather than just you know no, you get to carry the lightsaber and <laughs> and bring balance to the force, or you get to get in the Gundam and save the planet, or <laughs> you know, uh, it is the it is just you know what. If you don't want to do it, fine. You're still you still get to be everything I needed you to be, which is my son. Yeah, I I, I think that line in itself is uh is kind of the difference between a movie like Dune and a movie like Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Where these characters, uh, Villeneuve and, and Herbert writing the original book, um. Right had a real sense of character in the, at least in the first book i know it gets kind of wonky in the later books mm-hmm. um but a real sense of like who, who how humans are and how humans interact where star wars is is very like these aren't <laughs> these are such not real people that you don't question it anymore um yeah. which i think maybe that's where the sequels struggle at times where like they're trying to really bring some human levity to these characters that didn't have a ton of that mm-hmm. like everybody talks about the um, the, the I love you and I know scene from Star Wars, which is a great scene, but um, I don't know any, like, there's, there's 7 billion people on the planet. There's someone right. out there, but I don't know anybody in normal day-to-day life that is that way, like, acts like that with their part, like, any like that, right? Other than they're playing off that scene to begin with. 
You know what I mean? I think you. I think it's not something you see uh, just out and about. Yeah. Like I know. I mean, I can say I. I I've been. I've been married for two years, so I can say I, I've had moments like that with my wife where, where, you know, and, or, and it's usually like after I've done something, you know, just to take a little bit of stress off her. It's not, you're not being cornered by stormtroopers. <laughs> and it's not, it's not, you're, you're facing some sort of doom or you're, so, you, or you're not showing your plot armor. Yeah. Uh, per se um but it's not it, i think there i think there are moments where that happens but it's not nearly like i, I think the, the lucas scene is definitely that's some high fantasy shit right there. <laughs> yeah um all that to say on my side is i also very much enjoyed the movie um mm-hmm. i think uh it's if it's not, it's probably going to end up being my second favorite new movie I've seen this year. Like new as in came out this year, not new to me because I've watched uh, like 150 of those at this point. Yeah. Um, but new as, as in 2021 new, it's probably going to end up being my second favorite because uh, we'll talk about it later. But French Dispatch showed up and blew off my socks. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, I want to watch that, but I don't want to go to a theater. I hey, totally understand it. It'll probably be on digital in like a month, so I would I would right. just hold on because mm-hmm. I was like, what, what was it that I saw? I was like, this is already on. Di- oh, I think it's James Bond. James Bond's like already out on digital. I think soon, like either this week or next. Oh, okay, good. And I'm like, oh dang, um, come on, last duel. I want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, Dune's really great and. Uh, I guess the things I love about it are just the behind the scenes stuff more than just like the visual stuff. Um, it's really weird to have this movie and Eternals coming out around the same time. Not for the way that I think people think I'm talking about, not like parallels of like just high concept stuff going on in these mm-hmm. movies, but I always think about the budget. And I've said this, I think to everybody I've, I've talked to about this movie with is that Dune was made for a, made cheaper than Eternals and consistently looked overall better. Not not 100% every scene, but like fight scenes for Dune looks better than most of the fight scenes in Eternals and stuff like that. And it's because they're using so much practical in that movie. And mm-hmm. they're repurposing so many things in that movie to kind of make it work. And um, with superhero movies, it's just, it's becoming harder and harder to find that practicalness because once super supermans start fighting each other they're just rubber dolls at that point and right you can tell that at, 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 unless unless you have something else to ground it around it um i think the one scene and maybe maybe you know what i'm talking about there's one scene at the end of dune that uh you've noticed the special effect real bad <laughs> um uh, oh it's a it's a vision scene that paul has of the future and it's it's a fight scene this spoilers for end of dune now at this point um just heads up give it a minute i want to say a spoiler now um it's a it's a vision at the end of the movie that paul sees the the holy war start happening and he sees himself fighting in it Mm -hmm. and the 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 helmet of the visor goes up on the helmet and his face is not in that visor no his face is not in that visor but but in, in, but the the effect is there to, to make it look like it. But I'm like I see that and I'm like, mm, 
that one that one sits in me weird and I, and I saw that one in the trailer and it sit in me weird so i was worried a little bit about some of the special effects going in but everything else was fine yeah no i i did i do i do recall that and i do remember it looking weird but doesn't he also have blue eyes as well yes yes that's because at so that point in the vision like, he's uh, like man how long how long how yeah. long does it take for you to for you to get the blue eyes that's what i'm that's what i'm curious about We'll find uh, out before the movie's out because you'll be reading the book. So yes, I'm actually. Uh, I will say this. Uh, from what I've gotten so far, like there's not much left off screen uh, from the book, and I'm excited to keep reading it. I think it's actually it's actually a pretty wonderful book. So I would definitely recommend if you are if you see this and like it, check out the book. It's worth it. So let's talk about I think some of our favorite parts of Dune. Um, I'll go first this time because I kind of want to talk about um, the more behind the scenes stuff is the soundtrack and the in the in the um, sound of sound effects of Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Hans Zimmer basically didn't want to do anything he's ever done before. So he didn't watch the Dave Lynch movie, which I didn't know Toto did the soundtrack for that movie. Um, oh, yeah. Is that just the era, is that just the era of bands doing soundtracks? Because isn't that the same era of uh, Queen doing Flash Gordon? Um, I think Queen doing Flash Gordon was before that. Uh, but no, Toto. This is like post Toto breaking out with uh, their album Four or IV, whichever you want to call it, mm-hmm. where they basically broke out with a bunch of number one hits. So like it has, it has a uh, Rosanna on it. It has Africa on it. So they, and prior to that, they had shown, they had been basically a, a, I don't want to say a middling prog rock band, but because I'm just, I'm just not a prog rock guy. I never sure. really have been. I've tried and I've tried, um, but they're like that's the only thing by Toto I really like is that album. Let's um, see here. And Flash Gordon that was 1980. 1980 and Dune was 1984. So same decade. Yeah, I mean, same era. Like this. I is feel probably, like there's other movies that had the same thing going on at that time. I mean, I think Vangelis did Blade Runner and Chariots of Fire around that time. And Vangelis was a was a prog rocker as well, especially in his band. I think it was called Aphrodite's Child, which they did. A, that's one of the few prog rock albums I really like. I think it's um, Babylon Six Six Six. I think, but yeah, that's good stuff to listen to. But yeah, so uh, uh, having uh, Zimmer basically like go into hiding for like a month and come up with a lot of different instruments and a lot of different um sounds for the soundtrack i think really enhanced um i i I didn't finish it i was in the middle of it before we started this but there's a new thomas flight video just about how subtly impactful his soundtrack is in the movie uh but not only that uh there is a a fully system going on in dune that's really really interesting and I mean by fully, I just mean sound effects. I mean um, yeah. people making cool new sounds for this movie where I guess Villeneuve didn't want them to use any sound library. They, he wanted to make them all new sounds, which 
when you tell someone that who works in this industry, they're, they're probably like, come on, man, why are you making my job hard? Yeah. But I think what made it so cool and what made it really easier for them to do it is he brought them on set in the middle of production mm-hmm. and he let them watch them film and like get around and get it like a feeling for everything going on in the middle of them filming it instead of having to do all that work at the end. Yeah. Um, and so like, well, there's a lot of just sound design in this movie that is fresh. It feels like like the last time I remember watching a movie and go, man, this sound design is good. It's Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> Which I still need to see. Yeah. And I think like the cars and that just sound so crisp and good. And the mixing is so well and doing, there's like just a lot of cool gadgets and vehicles that sound really good and really cool and sound mm-hmm. the way you, your mind thinks they'll sound, but they're not, entirely sounds you've heard before so yeah i really enjoy that right uh i think on on that note like the ornithopters in there like they they almost have like a retro future design uh because they just look like dragonflies (laughs) uh but i think the way that they sound when they're flying through the desert is Mm -hmm. like it's it's very it's odd but appropriate and then how uh the is it the sardaukar and the atreides they all have those shields yeah the shields are the overshields are great and it sounds like the only thing i can equate this sound to is something that would have happened in uh techno in the 90s uh, if you ever hear if you ever hear the song Jumbo by Underworld, the synths in that song sound like the overshields on on this bit on this uh, on these on these individuals. Yeah, and it is it is it is dope. And I just like I know that I know that they're clearly not the same thing, but just the sounds just sort of rang that way in my head. Uh, and I just thought that seeing all this was was very was very like oh this makes sense but it's also like fresh yeah in a way that just that most sci-fi doesn't hit me that way it's also nice to kind of have a sci-fi movie that doesn't rely on gunfights um right and i don't think herbert uh when he wrote it was thinking about this at the time but I wonder if Villeneuve was thinking about this when he was making it, where mm-hmm. when you have your heroes in the middle of gunfights, they can't get shot. Like that's right. that's always an issue. Star that's why Star that's why the stormtroopers gets made fun of so much in Star Wars because they can never hit anything because your heroes aren't supposed to get shot. And yeah. it happens in all action movies with guns. But when you it's when it's only knife fights, like ninety mm-hmm. percent of Dune is just knife fights. When it's only knife fights, that's when you can have your heroes get hit. Mm-hmm. and wounded they, because it's much easier to showcase like cuts and stuff than it is gunshots because gunshots can be so like detrimental to your whole body where a cut on the arm as long as it's in the right place won't do a bunch to you so yeah. i a think superficial that, cut is not going to do yeah. near what a uh, near what a shoulder a, bullet a shoulder bullet yeah yeah <clears throat> super but, i mean you superficial cut on your shoulder you can still swing that arm yeah and so that's why i think like a lot of the fights are really well done and it makes sense for them to overpower some of the bad guys in these fights because it's all about training with these weapons now instead of being a good aim with a gun and then missing all the time right it's it's there there's um 
I mean, it's it's essentially that old kung fu concept of discipline. Like that's yeah. exactly what it is. And there's a lot of really good foreshadowing in the movie to the skills of everybody involved. Like um, there's that line uh, where they're trying to get the the emperor's men to help out, and they're like don't be so confident here. Like they have Duncan Idaho and they have uh, mm-hmm. what's his name as their trainer. Like yeah, Gurney. Yeah. You have, they have Gurney Halleck as their t- trainer. Like, don't be too confident. And they're like, ah, we got this. And then those men show up and they just get eviscerated by, yeah, like, by Duncan Idaho. So it's like, yeah, like we've established well, that Duncan then, Idaho is a force. And then, and then Josh Brolin, he's like, he like shows up, dismantles a crew of what, four or five, and then yeah. looks back to his army and says, on me. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> oh, this movie's dope. I love it. It's, uh, it's, it's, re- it's really doing the bring me back to a genre type thing that I kind of wanted it to do because yeah. I've not, I've not been like super into, I've not been super interested in like sci-fi in a while. And I think part of this comes from, you know, watching um, Possessor and Kill List as well. Like, yeah. cause there's certain, I mean, granted Kill List is more folk horror, but like Possessor is definitely sci-fi and, depending on what kind of argument you want to start uh religion can kind of be science fiction but i'm not really gonna i'm not really going to be that guy here um and i think i and that's why i think kill list sort of fits in doing this to me as well so um yeah moving to talking about some cool things about the the plot too is i think working with a messiah character is very touchy um oh 100 and like before people just throw out well this this book invented this this idea of the white savior yes but i know in the future it does very interesting things with that idea too that we won't Mm -hmm. see yet but i think in this first movie it does a very interesting thing with the way they kind of frame uh paul being like why am why am i the person they need i'm not i'm not them i'm not like someone of their people and yes he might know things but it feels like the way they frame paul with the way timothy uh acts and um and how people around him act and how he kind of acts against them mm-hmm. feels very much like I shouldn't be the savior of these people. They need someone of their own from their own place to be their savior. Like it, it, it gives off those feelings. That's what it, that's what it felt like. Oh yeah. He's definitely, I, 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 he's definitely reluctant in a way that is uh, relatable. Uh, just because he, he doesn't feel like he's, he, so he's giving, he's given a lot in a very short mm-hmm. time frame. Like he's he's been told about uh, you know his his Bene Gesserit training, I guess we could call it. And then he's also been told that he has more than one birthright. So all of a sudden he's kind of just learning, he's becoming more aware of his place in this world, and he is 
unsure how to uh, unsure what any of it means yeah but he also is doing like when uh when oscar isaac and the i forget his name but the guy that shows up to that council and is basically just completely brash in the face of like custom <laughs> he's like he's like he has a knife it's sacred to his people uh and then he spits on the floor or he spits on, does he spit on the table or on the floor um easy bagel um and everyone's like what the hell is this going on <laughs> and, 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 and you know and jason momoa has to sort of like yo this is custom like relax everybody needs to calm down you got to remember you are not in you you are not in your home right now you are you are on a desert world to which you just got or you just arrived and maybe there are people with different customs than yours you just need to sort of relax on all your on your, your high custom pageantry as it were uh but when timothy chalamet and that guy meet again yeah he's he, he's like hey i remember you you met my father i was there and we sort of talked about you know looking at looking at each other as for lack of a better word people rather than the atreides and uh the atreides trying to resume what the harkonnen were over the fremen yeah and uh i i, I like that uh he sort of that's sort of the one thing he takes from his father he's like look we can we can we can work together and uh i would much rather work with you than be some messianic figure if i'm even saying that correctly yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. I have a question for you about the end of the movie, mm-hmm. um, where I've heard a lot of people kind of get lost um, when it came to that final fight. Right. Because before he gets a little vision that says, you can't take a life. And it shows him him getting stabbed by the guy, right? Right. And it also, uh, also it says to take a life is to take your own life, right? Mm-hmm. People are like, did he did he go against prophecy by by killing that man? Um, and I, I, I don't know, was that your interpretation of that? Like that he broke prophecy and he was trying to break prophecy. So I've, I have a different interpretation after seeing it twice, but so oh, I, I yeah, I, I watched it twice. I watched it before we talked about doing it, and then I actually just I, I wrapped it up again, uh, on my way on my bus trip home, and I watched it and I was. I feel like I was watching it more intently this time around. And, mm-hmm. and while I feel like what's shown to you on screen is, is his vision was a metaphor for what is said, whereas like his vision is a metaphor for in order to take a life, you must take your own life. Yeah. But see earlier in the film, he also says, I saw my death or I saw, yeah, I saw my death but it wasn't my death. Yeah. So I think I think the text is is leading it to be 
uh, a metaphor. And there's also the issue with him seeing the guy he that he ends up killing as kind of his friend, as you were talking about before. Yes. Uh, and I think that also, in a way, is kind of a metaphorical thing where it's not that guy specifically, but just the people in general are going yes. to lead him down this path. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I when I watch it the second time, I'm like, oh, so what they mean by this is he has to be willing, if he's willing to take a life, he has to understand that this is going to change him. That mm-hmm. the Paul that we get at the beginning of the movie will not be the same Paul after he takes a life because that is such a big decision for anybody to make. And he's not done it yet that right. he's not, he's going to die when this person dies because it's not the same person coming out the other side. Right. Yeah. He's that reluctant hero realizing consequences to his actions. And I, I actually love how uh, in that particular fight, this is probably the one time we really get uh, Jedi force stuff. Yeah, kind of. Because it's clear that uh, if 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 a fight in general is a chess match of, of sorts, Timothy Chalamet just has this guy's number. Yeah, like he he knows the moves. He he knows how he's going to defend. He knows how he's going to attack, and he's basically got it to where all he's doing is he's like, you know what, just yield. I've got you. And. You know, and he has to learn on the fly that the custom is we don't yield. You you finish the job. And I forget now. I didn't look at this before. Is that Javier? Yeah, it is Javier Bardem. Um, Javier Bardem's character is like, is he just toying with him? I don't think he's toying with him. I think Javier Bardem's character it can't get a read on him. Is my was my right. thing. I didn't think Chalamet, I didn't think, uh, I keep saying Chalamet, I just call him Paul, because uh, it's probably easier to say Chalamet, but Paul is, is, I think Paul is like, kind because of, he's not really looking at his attacker anymore, he's just, he's just, he's just, he just knows it. Yeah. So now he's, he's sort of looking off in the distance going, okay, am I doing this? Yeah. And then, you know, you see him do it. And uh, while it seems like the most anticlimactic thing, uh, I think a a really good bit of acting here is between Paul and I forget the Fremen woman that he was talking to prior. I believe it's Javier Bardem's daughter. Yeah. In the movie. Well, I don't know if it's his daughter or not, but it it sure seems like it. Yeah, but anyway, they they look they look there's like a cut between two of them just staring at each other and they seem to understand that some big shit just happened and some big shit is changing the course of both of their lives like they are in that moment yeah and uh and 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 then the movie ends, <laughs> which is yeah. And, and I which, think for for a movie that doesn't have an ending, it has a pretty mm-hmm. ending. right. Exactly. I'm like, wow, that's a that's a good that's a that's a good like they they're like okay, that's a good you know to be continued essentially. Um. So we both like this. Um. Uh, what's your familiarity with the books before we get into your behind the scenes? 
Oh, well, the behind the yeah. scenes is mostly about the soundtrack, but uh, I uh, I read the book a month before the movie came out. I finished it. Okay. And I, I overall enjoyed the book, but it was it's dry. The book's very dry in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had a hard time forming some of the concepts in my head. Um, when it comes to high fantasy and I guess high sci-fi at this point, reading reading Dune and seeing how that played out, um, unless I already have kind of like a visualization going on for things in front of me, I have mm-hmm. a hard time putting them in my head when with only those two genres, really. Most other things I'm pretty okay with. Um, so I liked the book, but I was like, man, I don't know if I'll read the rest. And then I watched the movie and I go, I think I'm going to read the rest of these books. <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, I'm, I'm only a hundred pages into the to the first one, and if I if it keeps going the way the way I'm the way I'm enjoying it, I'm like I'm definitely gonna pick up two at some point. Um, I, I think, um, but I also understand. Yeah. I also understand this is like half of the first book, right? Yeah, this is about. Um, th- yeah, probably close to three hundred pages of the six hundred page book. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, uh, there was something else about the plot that was really interesting that I wanted to bring up. But I'm trying to remember what it was. Sandworms look great. That's just I should just point that out. Um, oh yeah, that would the, the the scenes with sandworms are some of the more interesting uh, predator scenes in a movie that I've seen in a while. I, I guess we should. I want to talk about briefly like how good the bad guys are in this movie too. Like. Um, Skarsgård and um, uh, why can't I remember someone's name? It's is it Dave Bautista? Uh, yeah, Bautista. Like both of yeah. them are pretty terrifying, right? Um, in the movie, poor oh gosh, what's his name? Polka Dot Man from Suicide Squad. Squad. Um, give me one second. I'll get his name. Hold on, I got it. Just give me a second. It's, it's almost here. I'm looking up cast of this movie. Uh, David Dashmont. Han, I don't know if I pronounced his last name right. Probably not. Poor, poor that guy. He he dies a lot in villain movies. I uh he dies in he dies in the most brutal and visceral way I can uh I can think of in uh 2041. <laughs> oh wow. Uh have you seen 2041? 2040 Blade Runner, sorry. Blade Runner 2049. No, I still uh, 49, sorry. There, uh, he, he's in that one and uh the way he gets uh, off is pretty brutal on this and even this one's kind of brutal for a PG-13 movie. Okay. Cuz he's uh he's the assistant for the the duke is it? Is he called the duke or the the Baron? Oscar Isaac? Uh no, the Oh, he's uh, he's the assistant for uh he's assistant he's Skarsgård? Yeah, Skarsgård. He's the he's, assistant to the Baron. Yeah, the Baron and like his eye when they do the poison and his eyes hollow out and stuff. Like that's yeah. pretty gross. That's that's that scene Oh boy, <laughs> I was I was not ready for how well they orchestrate that scene. It's it's a it's a PG thirteen movie, really bumping up against an R rating at times mm-hmm. with some of these like the way they get around some of the violence. I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, like this is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, this is this is. I mean, even if you come at it and you're you're trying to dissect all the. The politics of it which we've not really done here um you could still do that while eating a lot of popcorn and being completely entertained like this is for uh as much as i've heard about dune 
as a book franchise and how I've heard it's kind of like unfilmable or uh, being career wrecking in a lot of ways, like this came to, this comes together really, really well. I do have, I was having a conversation the other night and the person I was speaking with was, had the biggest problem with the fact that they didn't green light the second film before this came out. And my one sort of posit, and I'm like, you know, the history of Dune movies, right? I don't remember their answer. But like David Lynch was on a meteoric rise and Dune about wrecked his career. Yeah. Now, granted, it's a movie I personally like, but I am one person in the <laughs> in a sea of many, and one person's opinion does not match public opinion all the time. I think it was a studio, I think it was it was smart for a studio to not green light something like this i mean because the project that's 165 million we're in a post-pandemic world like we don't know what's gonna come and if this if this does well green light it but i would also i also think because like their their big uh comeback to that was well now nobody is like every everyone's probably like scrambling for projects and they they you know production on this is probably gonna have to wait I said, you, you're going to tell me that this world-renowned, famous book franchise that everyone involved is set to either do really, really well for themselves or really, really poorly? Like, you're going to tell me that they didn't have just preliminary talks of like, hey, probably going to be doing a sequel. So like, stay tuned. Yeah, I think... Uh, and he just sort of shook his head. He's like, hmm. I'm like, I think, you're, I think you might be overreacting just a little bit. Yeah, I think a Dune sequel was kind of all but guaranteed, but they kind of wanted to hold off just in case something bad happened. Because they oh, yeah. greenlit it the same week it came out. Like, Right, and, and, and Villeneuve, I think, leading up to it was like, yeah, I, I, said, I said before I even, before this is even greenlit, like, this is going to have to be two movies. Yeah, I think I think Villeneuve more more than anything wants a third movie, and that one's the one he's not sure about. Right. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Because I believe the first book will probably get finished being adapted in the second movie, but I believe mm-hmm. the the second book kind of completes the arc in some ways that, like, to a satisfying way that, mm-hmm. like, you could stop at that third movie because the second book's much smaller than the first. Um, okay. Like they they fluctuate between being like three hundred to six hundred page books. Let me let me look real fast. Um, well, and Herbert wrote what five books before he passed? He wrote five, and only three of them really deal with Paul. Okay. So I mean, like, there's your movies right there. Like, you don't have to go past that. And they deal with the lineage of Paul after that. But if you're just gonna make movies about Paul, like, you don't yeah. have to make any more. Yeah, so the, this is the, yeah. there's the Atreides trilogy and then there's the Atreides saga. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the first book is according to uh, 
I think my book's longer just because the way it's published. Um, but the first book's for 412 pages, and the second one is only 256. So you can adapt that to one movie. Okay. Uh, and then the third yeah, one. I, I think the book that I have is like 500 pages, but yeah, it has I think like it just append- it has it has like appendices and yeah. stuff. It has a whole bunch of ancillary stuff that I'm I have I know what's there, but I haven't started engaging with it the yet. The third one you would probably have to split. Um Actually, no, no, I, I'm wrong. You don't have to do the third one. I just looked. I just read the first paragraph of the plot. Like, no, never mind. That's that's when Paul's children come in. So yeah, it's just the first two books. So yeah, I think I think he'll get his trilogy, and I think we'll get the full story of Paul. And that's honestly okay. where Herbert's like good writing kind of stops. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I I know that like in his later books, like they're, they're they have good stuff in them, but they kind of go a bit off the rails um but sure. yeah uh enough about i mean unless you have something else you want to say about dune i'm, I'm pretty much dune out with my thoughts I, yeah i'm i mean i've watched this movie twice i and you know five hours given my did you watch time it in to, theaters at all or did you just watch it no I, I just I, I just watched it on hbo max um and i'm i'm glad for that because it's nice i mean i know that there i know that there are uh theaters where you can basically go get a meal and get drinks uh but i like i like eating and drinking at home i totally agree i think the only <laughs> reason i saw this in theaters was because i got offered to go see in an imax oh sure i'm not gonna i'm not going I'm, I'm not going to besmirch anybody going to a theater because i i part of me still misses that experience but also i work in healthcare and i'm tired a lot of the time um but yeah the dune's really good i'm still really high on it and i think i will probably avoid watching it till either a i finish the book or or b 2023 when the next one's about to come out i'll watch this again to yeah, prep same here. for it i'll be back on hbo max uh, there's also a spinoff tv show in the works uh originally written or show run by one of the co-writers um but now he had to drop out because the from the sequel got green like he's like well i gotta work on that um so it's still being produced by them though and mm-hmm. um yeah it's about it's about the crap what's it about um i just want to make sure i say it right uh it's a it's called dune the sisterhood it's based off the the books called the sisterhood um okay. and it's about the benny jesseret and like it, it serves kind of as a prequel to the movies and kind of like about their uh, sect and stuff. Which that would be cool. I was, yeah, I, I'm excited. I would, I would love to, I would love to, I, I saw one thing that really sort of, I, I'm, I'm more interested in learning about Fremen culture and the Bene Gesserit way uh, in pot. I mean, significantly less. So I'd like to learn like more about the houses just because I feel like we're not given much mm-hmm. in the film. Now, granted, 100 pages into the book, and I haven't really learned a ton about that. So I understand maybe... you don't get a lot from the houses until the son writes books about the houses in particularly. Oh, really? And I've heard that his son's books are not great. The, I, I heard they don't add much. They kind of just keep on expounding upon the smaller things that are there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's kind of what I like about my fantasy and my um sci-fi because i think about lord of the rings this way yeah the Silmarillion exists but i don't need it right 
and the same thing with Star Wars. Like, yes, there's a bunch of legend stories and a bunch of like actual canon books now. Mm-hmm. I don't need those though to feel satisfied. And I think that's what makes a good main movie universe is like having that satisfaction. When I have to seek out things to feel more satisfied with the things I'm enjoying, I feel like they're not doing their job fully prop like properly. Yeah, like unless that's the layout of something. Well, see, like I think of I think of franchises just in general that I like, like. I've been a Star Wars fan most of my life. Uh, I've never once thought I needed to read any of the books. Like none of that extended universe did anything for me. Now, granted, have other Star Wars fans said that I'm a bad fan? Oh, hell yeah. Have I cut those people out of my life? Double hell yeah, because gatekeeping is bullshit. Yeah. Um, Example examine and engage with whatever thing you want to however you feel like it that's sort of the beauty of it um but with like other ip or or franchises i've like i like that stuff is there so if i do go for it um i don't feel like I, i feel like i can just experience some of it rather than uh rather than feel the need to do homework for myself like and seeing star wars beyond the movies for me feels like homework now will i say that about like the shows no i won't say that about the shows because i haven't engaged with any of them and i think that engaging with one of the shows or all of the shows at some point would be a lot easier than trying to seek out uh the books which at this point may or may not be canon yeah so so yeah and like and very much like the what you were saying about the cimmerillion like that ancillary stuff is it's cool that it exists but that doesn't just because it existence does not make it essential yeah i i totally agree um so yeah moving on from dune what is uh some stuff you've been watching the last two weeks that you want to talk about I've watched absolutely nothing in the past two weeks. Well, good. That means I get to gush about French Dispatch and make you want to go see it. Well, I do want to see that. But uh, before before I let you, I will say this: I've been I've been reading Dune, and I've also been reading a lot of Berserk. Oh, good. Uh, and most of the, well, like I already had the deluxe edition, the first deluxe edition of Berserk. I reread it. Uh, specifically to start listening to the pod hand uh, ho- uh, co-hosted by friend of the show Maddie Lewis <laughs> and uh, and that shows that sh- I was not ready for how good that show is um, so yeah now like uh, in a couple of days I will a couple of days from this recording I will have a birthday and uh three more berserk novels are coming my way so berserk is going to be part of my life for a while and i'm excited uh but jesse yes tell me about the french dispatch is it really anderson's most innovative innovative film like the trailers have told me um i don't know if it's most innovative because this is (laughs) technically the second full length anderson movie i've seen i've seen bits and pieces of others but my brain hasn't been in them um so i didn't finish them but um I think for me, seeing French Dispatch and like seeing it in like an almost empty movie theater with a pretty good crowd, um, 
I don't know. It's just, it feels like what I, I like about going to the movies, even more than seeing Dune in the big spectacle that it was. It was just having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, the French Dispatcher, though, is, I know, different than most Anderson movies, as far as I know, because it's an anthology movie and you and you kind of know that going in if you've seen the trailers, but also kind of yeah. don't. Um, but it's very anthology based. There are four stories, five if you count the one that wraps everything around. Mm-hmm. um one super short it's i feel like it's just there to kind of set a tone and also to give owen wilson something to do um it's the same thing with the wraparound one the wraparound one's like oh this is just so he can cram in more cameos um right but the main three stories are full of such heart people say mm-hmm. this movie's cold and i don't get why they think that um maybe it's just because like it's delivered in more of a cold way but the, the deep down, like the point of the stories are really like the first one's about like expressing yourself in art and finding yourself again in art and finding love in art in that way. Mm-hmm. The second one is about revolution and also becoming an adult and wondering what that means when you're like 19, 18. <laughs> and also when you're like 40 and you still don't know what being an adult means, like it deals with that concept. Um, and the third story Shit, calling deals- me out Wes Anderson Jesus Christ <laughs> and then, the, and then, then <laughs> the third story is about kind of about being rescued in situations where you didn't think you had anybody but also um, when there's only one person to rescue you have to rely on them and like kind of how scary that is at times um, I don't want to like dive into why they all mean these things or like what the plot that leads to them but it, I think like it's quite interesting, like going through some stuff. <laughs> um, and the set designs for these movies are like so impeccable. Like they're the most perfect miniatures at times, the perfect like framing devices at times. The 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 dialogue is so witty that I caught myself like like having to replay it in my head to catch things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one section that's animated that is so like funny for the reason it's animated but also animated in such an interesting way that it works um i i guess i can kind of spoil that part um they there's a chase sequence that happens in the movie and then the narrators it's all the narrators for all three pieces are the writers for the articles of these pieces um, and okay. they go, the chase sequence was illustrated in a comic strip for the such and such times. And so the chase sequence is then animated in the comic strip style. Oh, like, that's cool. That's cool. And it like makes sense for what, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a lot. It's a lot of fun. That, yeah. Um, I mean that, so hearing you, as someone who's seen a lot of Wes Anderson movies, um, like the, the fact that it has heart is kind of, I'm, and I'm not trying to be like uh, dismissive, but the fact that it has heart is kind of a trait of Wes Anderson movies. The fact that it's cold is kind of a trait of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. But hearing you go into like more about this, it's probably the one of his I've wanted to see the most in a while. Um, Like I I think I fell asleep during Moonrise Kingdom. Was that his last one? Um, his last one, I think, was Isle of Dogs, which had its its controversy, which I, I haven't seen it, so I, I won't like kind of talk to it. 
Um, oh last, yeah, I didn't. I did last, not see Isle of Dogs. No. His last live action one before this, though, I think was Grand Budapest. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 so I so Grand if it's Grand Budapest Hotel, I've not seen it. But the last one of his that I did watch was Moonrise Kingdom, and I fell asleep during that. That's one of the um, ones I started and I just didn't finish because my mind wasn't in it. Yeah, and that's that. Yeah, it's, that's exactly where I was. Um, and you know, I, I I will go back, but I did like. I I mean I do like the Royal Tenenbaums. That's one of my probably favorite movies ever. It, I don't know if it's my favorite of his because I also do like Life of Life Aquatic. Uh, the one I did not really care about was the Darjeeling Limited. Like I don't think it's bad, but there was just a just like there was a lot of there was a lot in it where I was like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I mean Bottle Rocket's amazing. Rushmore's amazing. I'm trying to find just like a quick list of his to see what I oh fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. That movie in his uh filmography is completely underrated because uh that movie's great. Um, but so so yeah, beyond Moonrise Kingdom, I've not seen any. So I still need to watch Budapest Hotel. Probably need to watch Moonrise again and then Isle of Dogs and French Dispatch. But but yeah, hearing you, des- hearing you describe it like this is the first one I've wanted to see in a very long time. I, th- I think it's probably the it's definitely the best one I've seen. But I've only seen two. <laughs> What's the other like, one you've seen? I've seen Grand Budapest, and I really like Grand Budapest also. Okay. But I think this one is just even more charming than that one. Um, I will say though that I mean it's still probably not for everybody. Uh, it's very it's very uppity still, but it's just a fun kind of uppity. Um, when you say uppity, give me a little more. It's just like it. The movie is trying to be smarter than you, and I think half the time it succeeds to be smarter than you. And I know that can make some people mad. Um, okay. All right. Um, does that make sense? Like it's yeah, not that, that makes sense. Not that it's making fun of you. It's just like it's trying to play at such a high concept at times mm-hmm. that um, and not like a, a foreign concept, like one you can reach if you if you really thought it out and like played at it more. Um, nothing like existential or something like that. It's just like there's like a there's a scene where there's a <laughs> There's a scene where they're trying to explain a character's reasoning for starting a revolution. And the scene, they're like, okay, but they explain the scene. We're going to show you a play from the life story of this character. <laughs> and they show the play and there's, um, I don't know who the actor is. It's another famous actor, but he talks about like, yep, I took shrapnel on my butt and my arm and my this and my, and like, he's like, I'll never change a day in my life of working in this arm. Like it's just such a stupid kind of play thing, mm-hmm. and it's and it's comedy, but then it gets real dark and real serious, and you don't know if you're laughing still, and it doesn't give you time to really figure that out for yourself. It just like we know what we're going for, and we're moving on now. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Royal Tenant Bombs. I I don't own that one yet, so I haven't seen it. But when I do, I will let you know. Okay. I might just make you watch that for the show. That's fair. Uh, that's, that's easy way to do it. Um, 
what I uh, what I will say is I've also been watching a ton of noir movies. I don't want to talk about any of them yet because I'm trying to get to the Fox Noir collection on Criterion. And I think once I've actually gone through the whole collection, I'll pick like my top three of those. And maybe if we have time, my like bottom three that you should absolutely just don't give it any chance to. So far though, having a good time with those. Okay. Yeah, that I I I watched one of those recently. Like I think it was I think it was between the last episode and the episode prior. I think I watched one. I'm trying to remember which one. But yeah, that Fox Noir set's really good. Um, so yeah, that's I think everything. Uh in two weeks, we're having our wonderful friend Grace back on. And yeah, no. Wait, so wait, <laughs> I messed up already. We're, this show is becoming weekly for at least a month. Um, yes. So next week when you hear this, Grace will be back on and we'll be talking yes. about um, Last Temptation, probably, maybe. That's a maybe still. I've not That's clarified that with Grace yet, but we will definitely <laughs> be talking about silence. Detail, details um, are pending, yeah, but we're but, definitely talking about Ingmar Bergman's The Silence. No, wait, is it Ingmar? I thought it was Scorsese's Silence. That's what we were talking about. Really? I thought I thought that's what you were talking about. I thought that was an Ingmar. Well, Scorsese's is the last temptation of. Yeah, but he also did Silence uh, in uh, 2016. Oh, we got to clarify that one before we you watch the wrong movie. Oh Uh, shit! I was about to watch the wrong movie. Well, fuck! I'll watch Ingmar Bergman's Silence anyway (laughs) because it's a fucking good movie. I'll double check with Grace, but I'm pretty sure we're talking about silence and maybe last temptation um, okay uh but yeah anyways so yeah those will be fun um, so we're gonna talk about a silence and a temptation <laughs> yeah one of those um but yeah good times uh yes uh matthew where can people find you on the internet you could you could find me at infinite underscore rewind everywhere i want to be um that is twitter that is instagram that is letterboxed uh chances are if we are a mutual in a discord i'm infinite underscore rewind with some numbers after it there jesse yes. where can we find you um you can find me everywhere on sleeper of the bed i have a comic book podcast also called why comics you can find that on twitter at why comics pod um matthew you can find his other show trivial merit at trivial merit um mm-hmm. He does that with Caroline, who's amazing. They take uh, you to one mood to another mood uh, with the songs. I um, completely shat the bed in terms of self promotion. I'm that's sorry. That's fine. We're tired. We're tired. I'm barely. I'm barely paying attention as is right now. I was so um, busy. I was so busy prepping everything I was going to say. Once you asked me the next question, but go ahead. He has a video game one too, but I don't remember. Story Route Zero. That's what it's called. Yes, that's um, I it. Think it's on hiatus right now, but it'll come back. Um, uh, no, it's it's still going. We 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 take off in December. Oh, no, actually, probably by means. the time this goes up, we'll be on hiatus. But yeah. Um, and then yeah, Matthew, who does your music? Uh, well, the person who does our music is now on Spotify. Uh, you can find them capital letters D E A D dash I. Their album Bloodshed Kingdom was released on doesn't say the release date way to go spotify uh it was released in the end of october i believe i think it might have been actually halloween um but it's out you should listen to it it's 10 songs including our theme song 
There you go. That's all you need so, to know. D-A-D um, on, uh, dash I, you can find him at Deadeye Productions on Instagram. He's also been doing self, self-promotion self with, he does little video snippets of each of his songs. He's also doing the old uh, Hope Street Steppers, Hope Street Steppers stuff that's still really good in my opinion. Uh, check out my buddy. I think he's a really good musician. Yeah, and you can find this show on Twitter at free reeling it you can email us about movies you think you want to talk about or uh, you want to talk about you want us to talk about or then yeah. just tell us about what you thought about the movies we've covered so far and you can email us at free reeling it at gmail.com um yeah thank you guys for listening and remember you can watch movies at home you don't gotta go to theaters uh we got popcorn at home we got microwaves we got your food, at, your food at home is better trust me you could pause it and talk about the movie you could put on subtitles that's the thing do need subtitles at times yeah. and you don't get that in the theater <laughs> no you do not you, you, no you do not i had to uh, i threw subtitles on several times while yeah. watching it so yeah uh thanks for listening guys